Okay, so just like last week, I want to start this week uh, with a bit of an informal survey. Last week I talked about uh, cutting the grass and I asked how many of you still like uh, doing that activity. This week I'd like to talk a little bit about cooking, okay? How many of you like to cook on any level whatsoever, be it uh, oven, stovetop, backyard, and the grill, uh, baking? Some of you, okay, come on, let me see the hands, all right. A good number of you, good number of you, okay. Uh, I enjoy it too, and something you may or may not know about me is that I am a die-hard do-it-yourselfer. I, I, I uh, maybe do a fault even. I think I got it from my parents who never hired anybody for anything. They always approached any given circumstance or challenge they faced with, perhaps we can do this ourselves. And, and I picked that up from my parents, I, I believe. Uh, and that would apply to cooking too. Um, when it comes to, especially when it comes to cooking on the grill. I love, we love cooking on the grill at our house. Uh, other thing, chicken wings. Uh, we love, we got to the point where like, we can't find good chicken wings in this town, so we're going to make them ourselves. Did I, can I get another amen to that? Yeah. We're going to have you all over for dinner soon, and you're going to try these chicken wings, and you're going to say, I found it. I finally found good chicken wings in the Nash, greater Nashville area. Same thing with barbecue ribs. Uh, we got to the point where like, we can make these things at home, and, and, uh, and we, th I mean, I, I don't want to brag here, right? But... <laughs> But I'm telling you, they're, they're good. Steak, don't even get me started on steak. Do we, do we love, well, Jack, do we love steak at our house? Okay, look at him smiling. Another thing that uh, you may or may not know about me, speaking of food, um, I, am, uh, I can only describe it as maybe a perpetual dieter. Uh, the older I get, it seems to be the more aware I have to be about the food that I eat. So not only do I enjoy cooking the aforementioned foods, but now I have to be thoughtful about it. Believe it or not, you can't, into your 50s, just eat ribs and steak every day. You can't do that. Uh, maybe you can. <laughs> maybe we should give it a try, <laughs> right? So anyway, it was, it was a few years ago when I got into this whole um, Nashville hot chicken craze. It's still, it's still, we're still known for our hot chicken here, but uh, when it was at its height, anyone else like hot chicken? Do we know what I'm talking about? Yeah, a few of you, just a few. Uh, uh, a friend of mine at the place that I used to work, we got uh, to a point where we were going to try everyone in town. We're going to make our way around the city and try every hot chicken joint that uh, is around, and, and, uh, and we loved it. But again, Another thing that you can't eat on a daily basis, because that will kill you. If you eat hot chicken every day, you, you will die. Uh, so I, I, and also, I put my, my do-it-yourself hat to work, and I said, self, there, there must be a way that you can make this hot chicken uh, in, in a more healthy manner. There's got to be a way to do that. And, and so, uh, and you see, this is, this is sort of the, how shall we say, the... Uh, innocent arrogance of the do-it-yourselfer, right? You know, you, you go in with good intentions, I think I can do this well, and I can do it better, and, uh, and so uh, I've done things like this before, I, I can do it again. So I set myself out to find a good recipe for chicken tenders. And uh, rather than use grease, butter, flour, those kind of things, all those wonderful things, I thought maybe I could use uh, coconut oil and uh, coconut flour. Uh, that would make for a good, healthy, <laughs> I see you shaking your head, no. <laughs> um, that would make for a good, healthy chicken tender, right? And so just to give you a visual, this is what I was going for. And this is what I got. I feel like you laughed a little too hard at that. For those of you listening to the recording, which, by the way, we record these and post them on the podcast, uh, these, what you're seeing here, resemble more closely charcoal briquettes <laughs> than they do anything edible at all. 
I don't think anyone would <laughs> approach that and say, yeah, let me have some of that, right? So the point is, at least for me, at least for me, sometimes we, uh, we tend to think uh, more highly of ourselves uh, than, than maybe we ought to. And, and this is a playful way to illustrate that, but, but it also just might scratch the surface of a deeper truth, and that is, generally speaking, as humans, we, we tend to think higher of ourselves than, than we ought. We highlighted this a bit last week uh, when we were talking about the holiness of God and, and how far separated we are from God in that regard. And, and it's not just that, I'm going to take this out because this is, and it's not just that, uh, that the God is holy, right? Uh, how far separated from us, but, but he's not even just holy or holy, holy. When we highlighted the fact that God is holy, holy, holy. And, and knowing that is enough to understand how far we are removed from God in and of ourselves. And if that weren't bad enough, well, there's another problem, right? Because, again, it's not just that, that he's holy, but we're pretty bad ourselves. We're pretty bad ourselves. For those of you that were here last week, we even joked about our, our tendency to, to set the bar so low. And that when we asked someone, do you think you're a good person? And, you know, well, you know I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I've never, what do we say? I've never killed anybody. That's how low the bar is. That's how low the bar is. Well, I'm not like Adolf Hitler or something, and that's where we set the bar. So as long as I'm somewhat better than Adolf Hitler or some other, uh, you, know, uh, you know, horrible person that's been in, in history, then at least I'm not that bad, so I'm, I'm pretty good. That's where the bar is. So our objective today as we discuss the essential truths of the Christian faith is to try and get a handle on not necessarily how bad we are, right, uh, but inevitably when we start talking about uh, man's sinfulness, somewhere in the back of our minds, we, we, we tend to say, well, well, didn't God create us? You know, why did he create us sinful? If he created us, why did he create us sinful? And like last week, our understanding of that question can have a profound impact on how we understand every other doctrine that the Bible gives us, okay? Uh, it's, it's one of these essential truths. Um, so... I'd like to try and direct our attention to uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Shorter Catechism, to get, to get this discussion going. This is something we talked about not too long ago, uh, so it might be a refresher for, for some of you, for, but, but here goes. This is going to be question 12 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's going to take a minute to unpack it because, like I've explained before, the Westminster Confession was actually uh, a, uh, the Shorter Catechism was a teaching mechanism used to teach children the, the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then when we read it in modern, modern times today, we look at the, the Westminster, even the shorter catechism, we're like, what does that say? Here goes. What special act of providence did God exercise toward man in the estate wherein he was created? This is a children's question, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, and now wait till you get the answer. Here goes. When God had created man, he entered into a covenant of life with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him to eat of the tree of life, oh, excuse me, the tree of the uh, knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. Okay, children, let's hear you repeat that back to me. So, so see what I mean? Both the question and the answer uh, are a bit of a mouthful. Uh, so let's look at the question first. What special act of providence. What do I mean by that? The Westminster Confession also gives us a definition for that and centers around the way uh, God preserves and governs, okay? Preserves and governs his creation. Uh, but if I had to come up with a synonym 
for the word in this context that encapsulates the idea of God preserving and governing us, it would be the word provision. Okay, so think of this in terms of provision. So, so if we change the question to read this, this might clear it up a bit. It might, uh, might be like this. Did it go? No. Did it change? It did. Okay, it did. Huh? Just seeing if you're how closely you're paying attention. Very good, class. When God has created man, he entered into a covenant with him upon condition of perfect obedience, forbidding him. So the question, back to the question, what special act of provision, that's what I wanted to change. What special act of provision did God exercise towards man when he was created? Okay, that's the paraphrase. And, and what the answer tells us is that God made a special provision for man, and, uh, and it came by way of a covenant. Now, can someone give me a working definition of what a covenant is? When I start talking about a covenant, what do I mean by a covenant? What's a covenant? It's a contract, okay? And don't even think in terms of, uh, yeah, don't even think, of, maybe not even thinking in terms of, of, of a biblical context, but like, for instance, when you, when you move into a neighborhood, you sign a neighborhood covenant. What does that mean? What is that? It's an agreement, right? For instance, uh, I've always joked that uh, I, I kind of like neighborhood covenants because it, it prevents my next door neighbor from, and you think, well, they're so restrictive. It's my house. Can't I do what I want to m with, with my house? Well, I want you to do what you want with your house, but I also don't want you to, say, put a swimming pool in your front yard. Because <laughs> then again, what happens to the rest of our home? You know, it, it sort of devalues the, the rest of the neighborhood. So we all make an agreement that we all agree that maybe we shouldn't put a Swimming pool in our front yard. Let's at least agree upon that. We all agree? Okay. We all agree upon it. Let's, let's stick to it. Okay. So that is a, a type of covenant. Generally, we think of covenants as um, an agreement between two parties. And it usually does mean that. I agree to do this if you agree to do that. When we think of marriage, we tend to think of that as a sort of a 50-50 uh, a agreement. You know, but someone once told me, uh, it was very wise, that marriage is seldom 50-50, right? Sometimes it's 20-80. Sometimes it's 90-10. Sometimes it's one person carrying the other person uh, through, uh, through a difficult season in life. But this is not so with the covenants of God. When we start talking about the covenants of God, he, he, he doesn't consult with man in order to decide what the terms of the contract will be. God doesn't do that. When God makes a covenant, he alone decides what the terms of the covenant will be. He alone expresses his, his absolute sovereignty in, that the covenant, in, in, in what the covenant says and, and what the terms will be. And further, he's the one, God is the one that imposes that covenant upon himself and upon man. And, and here's what the covenant said. This is the, the, the first covenant that I'm talking about, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. This is what uh, the Westminster is talking about. And the Lord said, Genesis 2, 16 to 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So you see... This, this harkens back to what we discussed a little bit last week when we were talking about the holiness of God. Uh, God is setting forth the terms and boundaries and, uh, and, and of, of holiness and unholiness. And, and here's what needs to happen for you to be holy. Here's the agreement. And usually this is where we get our first objection. You know, if I could be crass for a minute and pretend that I'm Adam talking back to God about the terms of the covenant, I would say, God, this, this hardly seems fair. First of all, I didn't ask to be created. 
I, I, was, I was happy being nothing <laughs> when, when you brought me into this world, and now you're imposing a covenant upon me, which I didn't have a say in. This, this hardly seems fair. And some of you can already start to see maybe even that's a little absurd, right? Okay, notion or uh, objection noted, Adam. And in response to that, we first have to say, I, I'm not sure you understand your position here. We tend to look as, at God as sort of uh, an equal. That, okay, uh, we're going to arrange this uh, agreement. We both have a say in it, right? We're, well, no, we, we, you've already set off the terms improperly. Um, God is not someone that we can enter into a 50-50 agreement with here. That's just not the case. Remember, remember, this is why we started with what we started with last week. He's holy, holy, holy. He's eternal. He's infinite. He's all-knowing. We are not. So we have to first understand our, our, our position uh, before him. Let me, let me uh, make a, a, a comparison to my dogs. Maybe this will start to get at it here. We've got two dogs, a medium-sized one and a small one. They didn't ask to be adopted by me, right? Um, do you have any expectations of, of the dogs or f pets in your house? Do you impose any expectations on your pets? I do. <laughs> I do. I, I, I expect my dogs not to go to the bathroom in my house. I expect my dogs to come when I say come. I expect my dogs not to eat the food that is on the table. That's my food, not theirs, though they break that one all the time uh, through no fault of our own, right? I also expect my dogs to stay inside the fenced area and of our yard, don't go beyond. And if they do, they, they better come when I tell them to do that. And if they don't do these things, they're going to be in trouble. So you see, I, I've put a set of limits on the dogs. I've put, put a lot of limits on them, first of all, that they didn't ask for. And second of all, that they had no input on. Okay? I impose these limits on them. Now, let's just say, somehow, some way, one of my dogs suddenly gained awareness to be able to say, uh, Dad? I guess they would call me Dad. Or Mr. Fesco? <laughs> uh, why have you imposed these, in, these restrictions upon me? Why, why can't I just do the things that I want to do without fear of punishment? Now, why do I do it? Why do I impose those limits on my dog? Let me ask it this way. What would happen if I imposed no limits on my dogs and I just let them do whatever they wanted? What would happen? What would happen to my dogs? They what? It would be chaos. It would be chaos inside the house. And what might happen to the dogs? Harm. Harm. Something harmful might happen to the dogs. I impose, the, let me tell you something. We, uh, both Tracy and I, my wife, you know, we, we had this sort of expectation on, on how we would handle dogs when we came into our, when they, we brought them into our house and that, well, listen, they're animals. We've got to remember that they're still animals, but they have this way of weaseling their way into your heart. <laughs> and then you end up spending more money on them when they do things like eat socks or whatever that you ever dreamed that you, I would never thought I would, you know, one day at, at the vet cost us more than I ever thought we would ever spend on a dog. And again, because... We put a limit on our dog to say, don't eat socks. <laughs> don't, and I wish there was a way that I could literally communicate to the dog. If you, eat, if you continue to eat socks, you could die. But the dog doesn't get it. The dog doesn't get it. I don't know why. Okay, again, I impose limits on the dogs, not because I want to make their life hard. Right? I impose those limits on them because I'm interested in 
preserving them, preserving them. I'm interested in protecting them. I'm interested in providing for them and making them live as long as possible. Now, why did God impose this limit upon man? Why did God impose the covenant, this covenant upon man? You see, if you look at this covenant, the Westminster calls it a covenant of life. In theology, we also call it a covenant of works. But I like the word covenant of life, too. Because in a covenant of works, it was, it was a covenant contingent upon the work of Adam. But again, as a covenant of life, it's a provision from God. It's a protective measure from God. It's an act of preservation from God that says, do this, do this, and you will live. Do this and you'll have life. Hey, let me tell you how you can live. Just do this. Eat any of these things. And if you eat that thing, you're going to die. Okay? Just do that and you'll live. I'm trying to save, preserve, protect, and make you live as long as possible. Now, how absurd is it for Adam to then say, well, that hardly seems fair. See, when you start to look at what happened in the garden, not as a measure of restriction, but as a, as a measure of preservation, then it starts to take on a different outlook, a different uh, perspective. But you see, we have to remember why we're here. We have to remember why we're here. It's, it's God's, it was God's prerogative, first of all, to create us. And in so doing, did he have a purpose in mind? He certainly did. Your purpose for being on earth is a matter of design. Your design, the image in which, which uh, you are cast, is a reflection of your creator. You are a reflection of your creator. You're not the same as your creator, but you're a reflection. So in order to flourish, in order to flourish, you have to live in accordance with the way that you were designed. Okay, and this is why he puts those limits on you, because again, it's a matter of provision and protection. You were designed to reflect back the nature of God to him. You're cast in his image. That is baked into your design. Okay, so back to the garden here for a moment. Here, you can eat anything from here. Don't eat that one. All God is saying in that moment is to eat from that tree is an act that works against the way you were designed. You were designed to be a reflection of me. And to do what I tell you is not a means of working against the way you were designed. If, uh, to do what I tell you is a means of, uh, of, doing, of working you know, in accordance with the way you were designed. And if you do something otherwise, it'll lead to your death. So don't do it. Don't do it. And here's what James 2.10 says. And this is really to compound the seriousness of the covenant. Okay? For, this is James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, this is, this is effectively the, the, the garden, but to fail in one point has become guilty of all of it. Have guilty of all of it because remember what we highlighted last week, God is holy, 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 and we're not. And to be guilty of fracturing one thing, one thing is, is tantamount to, to being guilty of all of it. So, so that was the covenant that God imposed upon man when, when, uh, uh, when man was first created. If you do what I tell you, you'll live. And if you don't do what I tell you, you'll die. That was the essence of the covenant of works or the covenant of life. It was a command with a view for his providence over, over man, a view of protection, provision, and, and of, uh, of life. So far, so good. Does that much make sense? Any questions or, or, or comments or thoughts before we continue? Yes, Dean. 
Yes. <laughs> Did Lee Eric actually say, do not eat socks? You know, some, but I, the funny thing is that dogs, are, they offer such insight to the human condition. They show us so many things because sometimes I look at the dog and I see them, why do you keep going back to the same things that cause you harm? Guess who else does that? At the same time, uh, you also get a picture of, of, uh, of unconditional love from dogs too. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's, that's how they get into your heart. That's how they do it. That they, they, they love you. <laughs> and when they, that's right, in spite of you, they love you in spite of you. And what a picture that creates. How many dog people do we have in here? That would self, how many anti-dog people do we have? Can you show your hands? <laughs> all right. She's proud of it too. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. That's good. Right. Okay. So far, so good. All right. That's the covenant of life, covenant of work. Yes, sir. Yes, there is. There is something in Proverbs about a dog returning to his vomit. And uh, again, as gross as that sounds, what is that a picture of? Us going back to the very same sin over and over and over again. And, and uh, if it does sound gross to you, it's supposed to. Because again, when we're talking about again, com making comparisons to the holiness of God, that's what it's like. That's what returning to your sin over and over and over and over again is like. God, it's like... a if it turns your stomach to think of a dog returning to his, his vomit, imagine the corresponding be, uh, uh, notion of, of, of God seeing a sin. It's the, it's the same. It's, it's much worse in that regard. Good point. Thank you for bringing up vomit this early in the morning. That, <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that gets us going. Huh? <laughs> there we are. More donuts and coffee. Yes, please help yourself. All right. So uh, next section here, that there's this interesting dynamic that goes on in our house, and it's something that I try and teach my kids, that we often reward them for doing certain things, all right, speaking of provision and protection and all those things. For instance, uh, if they get good grades, that may yield them a, a prize of sorts, okay? Think of it as an incentive, but make no mistake, I make it clear to them that their job What's expected of them is to go to school and learn everything, literally everything that they're taught. There's no pass for any of you. If they're teaching it to you, you learn it. That's, that's your job. Now, let's just say I tell my son, if you get straight A's, I'll, uh, I'll get you a new phone. Okay? That's the, that's the biggest prize you can get a kid these days. Uh, what have I just done is I've, I've laid out the terms of a covenant, right? Now, let's just say he comes back with straight A's and I get him a new phone. Let me ask you this. Did he earn that phone? And this is going to be sticky for some of y'all, I bet. Did he earn that phone? He gets the straight A's. Did he earn it? You guys are afraid to answer. <laughs> you say yes, he earned the phone. Does anyone say no? No one says no. How many says, I, you say no? He just met the, he did what? He did exactly what was asked of him. He did what, his, what it was his job to do. Was it his job? If I didn't offer that incentive... Was it still his job to earn straight A's? Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was his job to do what I asked him to do, regardless of if there was an incentive or not, okay? Now, this, again, that's, like I said, that's, that's why I said this is going to bother you. If I, his father, sent him to school to learn, I want you to go and learn everything your teacher wants you. It's his job. It's his duty to learn all the material. So even if he gets straight A's, he's only done what I've asked him to do, okay? And this is one of our big problems when we think about the fall, the fall of mankind. We have it so ingrained in our minds that, that we're a people who earn things. I, I put in the work. What did I earn? You owe me now. And this is so deeply ingrained in us. And don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. I, I want you to go have a job and, and earn money, <laughs> right? But what I'm trying to make a comparison to is we 
don't have that dynamic between us and God. There is no way, there is no way ever that you can be in a position where God owes you something. That's where, the, that's where the dynamic breaks down in terms of how we deal with each other, how we deal with our employer. But when it comes to you and I and how we interact with God, we can never be in a position where God owes us something. He is creator. We are the created. Okay? We have no ability to be in a position where God is under obligation to us under any circumstance. Now, I don't emphasize that fact to make you feel beat down. The objective is not to rail on you over and over again, telling you how bad you are because you don't deserve anything. I want you to, yes, appreciate. I want you to appreciate the gap between the creator and the creature. I want you to really appreciate that because, because that's how we begin to love the wonder that is God's grace. That, that's, that's the beauty in all this. And I, I think I sent that in, a, in an email this week. I maybe sent it on Friday or Saturday. Is that when you, when you start to really contemplate the sinfulness of man, and really understand that. And, and before you even contemplate that, when you start to really contemplate the holiness of God, you have the holiness of God and you have the sinfulness of man. And that can feel, make you feel desperate. But again, that only highlights the fact of, of, of the grace of God. Because in spite of the fact that we're sinful, in spite of the fact that, that he's holy, he managed to, to bridge that gap and give us grace, even though we don't deserve it, okay? Let's put the covenant of, of, uh, of works, or the covenant of life back up here for a second, okay? So these are the terms. You know, you can eat of any tree, just stay away from this one or you'll die. You'll, you'll betray your design and it'll work against you to your death. And so what was the result when, when that happened? Well, they blew it. Adam and Eve blew it. They, this, was, this was the terms of the arrangement or the, of the covenant, and, and they blew it. They, they, didn't, they didn't work it out, okay? Um, and they did the one thing that they were expressly told not to do. God told them, if you do anything contrary to your design, this is going to result in your death. Now, let's, let's look at a, at a few details surrounding the deed itself, okay? This is Genesis 3.1. Uh, this is what Dean alluded to a minute ago. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This is Genesis 3.1 uh, that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? See what he's asking there? Did God really say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? Did, did he really restrict you and expect you not to eat of any tree in the garden? So, so what's, what's his M.O. here? Uh, where's the serpent going with? Is this a bad question? Is there anything crafty about this question? Is it deceptive? Is it a little deceiving? Yeah. Yeah, it is. First, it's, it's, it's false for starters. It's false. It, it's not what God said, and he knows it's not what God said. But do you see what he's doing? Remember what we were talking about a bit ago, that God instituted the terms of the covenant as a means of providence, provision, protection, and flourishing. But how does the serpent present it? As something restrictive, as a restriction. Again, God laid it out to be something to make you flourish, this will protect you. This will provide for you. But Satan presents it as something you can't do, a restriction. The serpent was the first one to manipulate the terms of the restriction and not present it as a, as a means of provision. And we've been listening to him ever since. It was evident right away to Eve that the question was bathed in error, that it communicated misinformation 
And with her answer, Eve is the first defender of the faith in the Bible. She defends the word of God from this, this, uh, the slanderous suggestion that the serpent raises. And she says to the serpent, of course God didn't say that. Uh, and she says this, uh, Genesis 2 to 3. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Is that what God said? Not quite. But do you, look how this happens, though. Look how this happens. This, th we might even look at this as, well, this is, this is an improvement. This is an improvement on what God said. Because God didn't say, don't touch it. He said, don't eat it. But Eve is now, Eve is now improving on the word of God. <laughs> Good for her, right? That, that's, that's very interesting. But the thing is, it shows us a picture, you know, even Eve now, even man, is seeing God's covenant through the eyes of restriction. Do you see that now? How, how the servant presented that, no, this is not something to provide for you. This isn't a means of provision. This is a means of restriction. And then when Eve repeats it back, it too reflects the idea that this is a restriction. Don't touch it. Don't even touch it. Now it's something restrictive instead of life-giving, instead of protection. Okay? Um, it amazes me how uh, soon I'm able to see this kind of re reflection in, in kids. Uh, from the time my kids were really young, they, be they begin pushing on the boundaries of what they believe were restrictions. Things like, you know, why, why can't I stay up as late as you? Or uh, why is, is my piece of pizza smaller than yours? Right? And uh, there, there's no regard for the fact that, first of all, I'm older and bigger, and I need more to nourish me. <laughs> and second, that I'm providing and protecting and preserving their lives. And third, perhaps more importantly, I'm in charge and you're not. But again, even, even I don't say you can't eat as much as me because it will cause, cause you harm. You can't stay up as late as me because it will cause you harm. But again, instead of being, seeing that as a, as a means of provision or protection, it's, it's viewed as something restrictive. And even if that fails at the end of the day, remember, I'm in charge. I'm in charge, and, and that alone has to be enough to, to make you say, okay, just because you said so. All right, so, so when the serpent told Adam and Eve, you can be like God, do you see what the alleged offer was? No restriction and, 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 uh, and an elevation to, to self equal to that of God, and that was too much for Adam and Eve to pass up. They caved into the temptation, and we, along with all the rest of humanity, took a big tumble. Now, really quickly, as we're running out of time here, this is the next objection that people have to the reality of the fall, that being, why am I being punished for the sin of Adam when I wasn't even there? Does anyone want to tear apart that argument for us? Who wants to take a stab at that when I wasn't there? Why am I being held responsible for the sins of Adam? Dean has his hand up, and I'm going to give him the microphone. Well, just that he is our perfect representative, that he is us. It's not that you wouldn't have done it or I wouldn't have done it. Of course we would have done the same exact thing, and he, he represents us. He's, he's a perfect representative of us, okay? Uh, that's excellent. And is it a tad, I don't know what the right word is here, presumptuous to say that, well, he did it. I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, I think it is. Well, what else? there's one more element here, that if we're going to reject the representation of Adam, do we need to reject the representation of someone else? Who? 
Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. Remember that? I'm going to sing one hymn for you every week. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22. For as by a man came death, as by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Does that remind you of the Messiah, the uh, Handel's Messiah? Uh, it does me. We don't want to reject the idea that one man represented you in the garden because you don't want to reject the idea that one man represented you in the wilderness when the serpent returned to tempt the second Adam. Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam, uh, Jesus Christ. You want Christ to represent you there. You, you want Christ to represent you on the cross, taking on the weight of your sin. You want the record of Christ's righteousness imputed to you so that you can be declared righteous, you see? Now we can get on board with the notion of, of, of uh, what we'll call federal representation. Adam was your federal repre representative, and so too was Christ. And, and this to me, this to me, and with this I'll close, is the most beautiful thing about the fall. Beautiful thing about the fall? Yes. Because something that maybe you, you never knew or maybe you did realize or never knew before, but Genesis 3.15. Okay, so the, the fall happens in, in Genesis 3. But this also happens in Genesis 3. So the fall happens, and then we read this in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is this? What is this? That's the gospel. This is what theologians call the, uh, uh, oh gosh, should you say it's prima evangelion, I think is the, the technical term. The first proclamation, proto, proto evangelion, the first proclamation of the gospel. This is the first pronouncement of Jesus. And do you see what that means? In the same breath, in the same breath that we, we, we read about the fall of man, we also have the redemption of man. And so though you may struggle with the idea that I wasn't there in the garden, why did God even allow that? Why did God allow? But at the same time, yes, he allowed it. He also made a provision for it, which is taking us back to that word again, provision, protection. In the same breath, in the same act, in the same swift motion that, that we, we read about the fall, that we experience the fall, we also have the remedy for the fall. And I want you to understand this too. This may be a lot to wrap your head around, but this is not a response to the other. The gospel is not a response to the, oh, man fell? Well, I better come up with something. So here's the response. This was in place from all eternity. And that, yes, and this is the part that's difficult for us to wrap our head around because we, we live on a linear timeline, but we are created by the one who knows no time, who is not restricted by time. And though, yes, I don't know why he made it us so that we could sin, but he, he allowed it to happen. But in the same breath that he allowed it to happen, he also gave us the, the, the way out. He gave us Jesus Christ. And that's the miracle of it. So though we have this expanse between us, though we have an expanse between man's sinfulness and God's holiness, we also have the one that would bruise the, the head of the serpent and, 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 bruise, uh, and, and have his heel bruised on the head of the, of the serpent. He would be crushed for us, for our sake, so that we could be made alive in, in Christ. Any other thoughts, comments, or questions that takes us to about 1054? So... 
Uh, got time for maybe one or two questions or comments, anything? Anyone happy about this? <laughs> well, good. Okay, let me close this in prayer. Uh, and again, as always, if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, or things you're still struggling with after hearing and, and reading some of these things, I'm more than glad to talk to you about them and uh, exchange emails, text messages, have a phone call, a meeting, whatever you want. I'm always uh, glad to work through any of these things with you guys. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the seed that uh, crushed the, the head of the serpent. We thank you. We thank you that uh, though we may raise our fist against you, and shake our fists and say it's not fair, that even that, even that is not uh, enough to, to push uh, God's grace away from us, your grace away from us. We thank you for it, that we get something that we don't deserve. Uh, we get Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us to realize that as we leave this place, and help us to, to tell other people. Give us opportunities to tell other people, as Dave prayed this morning. Uh, allow us to, to share this wonderful news with, with everyone that we encounter. Uh, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. And for his sake we pray it. Amen. Thank you all. Have a great Sunday.